Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 275. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 275 you're listening to. My guest today is Carlos Novice. Carlos is a front of house sound engineer for the band's Candlebox and the Plain White Tees as of late. But of course, he has worked for many bands. But uh, we're going to talk about his work with those bands as well as his experience on the road and our current state of self quarantining, if you will, or uh, sheltering in place, as it were. So, uh, Carlos Novice coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's continue the discussion of sheltering in place. Mm. Coffee is good as usual. So, uh, here we are. We continue on this path. It's uh, bizarre to say the least. I, I don't know if I said that last week, but yeah, you know, I, I, one part of me wants to just kind of brush over this and, you know, pretend like it's not happening and give you a break from the discussion of it. But I really think it helps to discuss it. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Um, I want to concentrate on on the good parts and the opportunities really to be honest with you, I, you know, I don't want to get dragged down into the uh, uh, the paranoid discussions or the, uh, you know, the freak out discussions. So uh, here's what's been working here at the Boudreaux House, uh, keeping the kids on a regular schedule. We're getting the schoolwork from the teachers on a daily basis. So we're constantly in email contact with them. And we're making sure that everybody is, you know, up and showered and fed and ready to go by 9 a.m. And the day begins, the workday begins, the school day begins, and we are just trying to all stay productive and on schedule here in the house. Keeping the house clean, I think, has been really useful. You know, just having a good, clean environment. You know, I'm not a clean freak, but I definitely have upped my game on cleanliness recently. And then as far as, um, you know, food is concerned, I've been in the grocery store a couple times. My wife's been a couple times. And we are just not buying into the hoarding mentality. You know, there are people who are going to need the food that's on the shelves at the grocery store. So it, it doesn't do anybody any good if you think, oh, I'm going to buy 15 packs of pasta. And it's like, really? Are you really going to eat that in the next couple weeks? No, you're not. So leave some for the next person. You know, there's a lot of elderly folks out there and they are on limited incomes. And so don't be selfish. Really think it through. Think how your your fellow uh, human being around you is in need. So, you know, you really don't need to buy 15 packs of pasta. And back to the toilet paper thing, the supply chain is, is there. It's going to be coming. So don't overdo it. I've also been in contact with some people, whether it's by text or uh, setting up a Zoom call. That's been really helpful. And I want to encourage you all to do that. If you've got a group of... Uh, friends, whether in audio or not, that you really get a lot of um, enjoyment out of speaking with, set up a Zoom call. I'll include a link in the show notes to Zoom. If you've never done Zoom, it's super simple. And uh, I do it every week. So I'm, I, I've been doing that for a few years now, and it's been great. I'll include a link for Zoom and download that. Jump on calls with people. You can get two or three or however many people you want in a call and um, check in with everybody. See how everybody's doing and uh, trade ideas. Uh, that's what we were doing in a, in a call recently. And then uh, I actually just talked to Cesar Mejia earlier today. We were comparing notes on, you know, you know, the kid thing and schooling and all that. Uh, but it's also great to uh, trade ideas about, you know, how are you doing your audio gig? Uh, what are some ways that you can, uh, you know, do your audio gig from home if it's not necessarily the thing you normally do? Caesar and I talked about this a bunch. We were talking about how uh, it's really forcing a lot of us to really be creative and uh, and change 
and you know, we're, it's forcing us all out of our old routines. There's a positive angle to that. And maybe you don't like change, my friends, but sometimes change is a good thing. So what I hope comes out of this is for you, for me, for all of us, I hope that we all come out of this safe and sound first and foremost, but I hope that we all can prepare ourselves for the worst case scenario in the future. And that means financially preparing, making sure that your work is safeguarded in some way. And if that means, you know, saving a bunch of money and having a good nest egg, that's good. Uh, or having a good uh, emer emergency fund in case work stops. But, you know, I have talked about diversification since this podcast began. And I hope you all take that a little more seriously if you haven't in the past. This is a good time to start adopting those uh, those multiple income stream type uh, workflows into your day, into your into your life rather. You know, maybe this is the time that you find the time because you know what else are you going to do? You're stuck at home. Do some learning of some new things. Take this opportunity to you know if it's a new DAW or maybe you were thinking, hey, I'm an audio person. I've been thinking about getting into video editing. Maybe it's time you you jump into that or whatever it is, all those things that you've been putting off, you've got time now, you know, sign up for classes or do whatever it is you need to do to learn the stuff. I just want to give you some encouragement. We will get through this. It's going to force us to be more resilient audio professionals in the end. If I come up with any great ideas to share with you, I certainly will. Until then, just uh, hold it together, my friends. If you got questions and you want to reach out to me, you know where you can find me. You can send me a message on LinkedIn if you're freaked out or even if you're not freaked out, reach out, send me a message. I'm happy to reply and stay in touch with you and uh, give you some encouragement. Maybe we can uh, bat ideas back and forth about you maintaining some consistency and uh, maybe thinking outside the box here on, on how to get through the next couple months here, if not longer. That's it. Stay strong, my friends. Drink more coffee. <laughs> That'll kind of uh, keep the brain brain alive, right? That'll keep the uh, that'll keep the neurons firing, and uh, that's it. So uh, take care of yourselves, and uh, yeah, let's do this. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. 
As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Carlos Novice here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Carlos, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure. We had to reschedule a couple of times because you got sick. And ultimately, did you get the flu? Well, I never went to a doctor. I normally try to fight myself. And I called my nurse because my health insurance plan has this nurse thing you can call, which is great. So I called and she asked a bunch of questions because I was concerned with all that's going on as well. So I wanted to make sure I didn't have the, the virus. She believed I had influenza, Uh and I believe that that's what it was, because I've been traveling so much, and my immune system was down a little bit, so I got sick at the beginning of the last run we did with Candlebox, and second day on the road, I got sick. Three other people were sick. They didn't get from me, but they arrived sick. I got back home. It took about a month to get back, so now I'm good. I'm 95% there. How has the last few weeks of being cooped up inside been for you and now with everybody kind of staying at home, what's what's that like for you? Well, it definitely affected us all. The music industry got affected big time, like sports, uh, restaurants, pretty much everybody got affected. We had a tour that was about to start March. We were going to start rehearsing March 21st, and we had four shows scheduled in March. That got scratched. And then at the beginning of this week, we got another email from management saying that April got scratched. CDC recommended, I think at the beginning of this week, that everything should be postponed for eight weeks. Something like that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't believe we're going to do anything in April as well. I just hope we can get back as safely and as soon as possible. But honestly... I'm not even sure if May is going to be a good idea. Yeah, starting to look that way. Yeah. So you were out with Candlebox? Candlebox mainly. Yeah, I've been with them for 13 years now. Well, let's get into that, and we'll come back to coronavirus chit-chat, which I'm sure everybody's totally (laughs) sick of. (laughs) Excuse the pun. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I was raised there and lived there until I was 29 years old. That's when I moved to America, to California in 1999. When did audio become important to you? Since I was a little kid, I always remember music all around, everywhere. My mom listened to a lot of music. You know, Brazilians love music. They're all very musical. We all have a good sense of rhythm, and, and, and music is everywhere, so I couldn't avoid. So there was always music in the house. My grandparents, my, my aunts and, and cousins, everybody was playing music all over the place. And when I was about 14, I started playing guitar. Before that, I started with piano, but didn't didn't stuck with me. And then I switched to guitar, and that's when I really started taking it seriously. Yeah, and I played guitar Actually, professionally, until I was about 29 years old. When I moved to America, I I stopped playing guitar. But I was also doing audio when I was 21 years old. I started working in the studios, and I was as a musician and as an audio engineer as well. And it seems that if you know one were to look at your LinkedIn profile, it is dominated by front of house and monitor work. And I'm curious, was there a time at which that became more of a prevalent thing in your life compared to studio work? Yeah, it was when I moved to America because it was easier for me to find a gig doing live sound here in America 
being new, I didn't really know that many people. I had a couple of Brazilian friends that were doing well in America, but you can't imagine someone coming from another country and knocking at a studio's door and asking, hey, you know, I'm a sound guy. Can you give me a job? Well, go clean the bathroom, you know. And I was already recording albums since I was 21 years old, so I didn't want to take that route. So I started doing live sound. I did a little in Brazil, but not at this level. So I started doing live sound at bars for friends, for local bands, and one thing led to another. And yeah, but it was when I moved to America that I switched. Did you have a a learning curve at all in terms of how things are done in America versus Brazil with regards to live sound? You know, not not really. Not really. I wouldn't say, because back in 99, there was a, a wider gap. Nowadays, with everything, with the globalization, everything is pretty much, you can have access to pretty much any type of gear anywhere in the world. But back in 99, yes. So when I came to America, there was some things, there were some, some equipment that I, I wasn't familiar with. But I wouldn't think it was a steep curve. I I always loved learning and reading a lot. So if there was anything that I didn't know, I would research. I would uh, read magazines, manuals. I love reading manuals and magazines. So I wasn't really (laughs) afraid of trying. So I would just say, yeah, I can do it. And I would, you know, do my best to learn whatever the gear was and and do my best. And you just got to kind of fake it till you make it. (laughs) Were there any language challenges for you? At first, yeah. I always loved English. I had English since sixth grade in school in Brazil. I always loved reading magazines, you know, guitar player magazine, mix magazine, all, all the, the music magazines, all the trade magazines. I thought I knew English until I came to America. Mm-hmm. Then I realized I didn't. <laughs> One thing is learning in school. The other thing is the way Americans uh, speak the street English, I say. <laughs> A lot of le- slang. I had no idea. A couple of times I pretended I knew what some people were talking about, and then I would have to look in a dictionary. like, what the heck does he mean with that? What does he mean? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What the heck is that? <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. So, you know, those little things here and there. <laughs> a lot of phrases that we use here that I think we take for granted. And uh, yes, others are like completely scratching their heads over. Yeah. And I still can't get rid of my accent. I gave up. You know, I used to get bummed about my accent because everybody would ask, where are you from? And I was like, well, where do you think I am from? I don't know. You got a little, it's not Spanish. It's not French. It's not Italian. I can't really pinpoint. Well, oh yeah, I'm from Brazil. But people say, nah, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's fine. It's who you are. It's your identity. So I, I kind of embraced it. I got an ac- accent. So what? Oh man, I think that's that's part of what makes you who you are. I think that's a great thing. Exactly. I don't see it as as an impediment to anything you do. No, it isn't. Now, for the listener, if you're in, and please, Carlos, correct me if I'm wrong here. One would speak Portuguese if you grew up in Brazil, correct? That's that's correct. Yeah. And is English taught in the schools there on a regular basis? Is that a yeah important thing? Yes, it is. Since I was, I believe, sixth grade, first time I had an English class, I was like, wow, I love this. So I was attracted by it. I was probably eight years old. So I don't know why I loved it and. Then with music, when I started listening to music, when I started getting attracted to music, uh, I was listening and reading the the lyrics and following along, and it's it's just fascinating. I love languages. I wish I could speak more languages. I notice on your LinkedIn profile, you've you've completed these courses that they offer on LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, like fundamentals of pro audio equipment. Yeah, and mixing techniques. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, what's what's your preferred way? of consuming something and, and learning it. it. It's changed a little bit because back then when I was starting to learn, there was no internet. There were no videos. As, as you probably remember, we are about the same age. I'm about to turn 50. I think you're 52. Uh, I'm 50, right? yeah. Yeah. So back then it was pretty much just magazines. You know, I remember when Mix Magazine was this thick, like a Sweetwater manual. Oh, yeah. I loved it. The interviews, they had like 10 pages of interviews for just one guy, 10 pages. Now, if you get two pages of an interview with one person, it's, it's a lot. The, 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 the magazines are becoming extinct. 
So I used to read magazines, trade magazines and and manuals a lot. And then the videos started coming out in the 80s, all the instructional videos. And then with internet, now it's pretty much how I learn. Uh, YouTube is a great uh, way to learn. All the LinkedIn stuff, the mix with the masters, uh, the pure mix videos. There's so much stuff that I wish it was available back then, but it wasn't. But now that's pretty much how I learn. But I must say there are certain things that are easier for me to understand than others. And especially in our trade, there are some things that I'm starting to have a hard time to get a grasp, for example. It seems like, especially live audio, connectivity with all the dentty, all the protocols, all the, the, the different stuff that's coming up, it's moving so fast that I'm starting to feel like I'm, I don't know, it's not age for sure, because we, we are capable of learning anything at any age, but it's moving too fast. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. The whole connectivity thing in particular has just changed dramatically in the last yeah. five yeah. to 10 years. And it's, it's not what you see is what you get. It's not like you can, it, there's a simple signal flow from the input to the output where you can follow the wire. You look at a Leslie cabinet. Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong, you can pretty much fix it yourself. Nowadays, with a digital console, forget about it. If you're lucky if you can replace a part, but for the most part, you just got to buy a new one. You can't fix anything anymore. It seems to be going that way for a lot of things. Cars, tractors, laptops. Yeah. I have... Two laptops here. One of them is a 2012 MacBook Pro, which you can get in, you can change the battery, the RAM, the hard drive, and it runs great. And then the machine I'm talking to you on is a late 2017 MacBook Pro, and you can't do anything with that. No, 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 you can't. Yeah, I'm trying to think here. I don't think you can change anything. You got to take to the store to begin with, and you got to trust what they tell you. Yeah, the older days of being self-sufficient and being able to, like you say, get into a Leslie cabinet and figure that out and just go, oh, it's, it's this off-the-shelf part. We'll just go down to Radio Shack and go get it. Exactly. And those days are seem to be disappearing on us fast. Let's take the 90s. You know, Let's just say across the board, you either, maybe it was an SSL, an API, or Neve. Mm-hmm. There was a small pool of consoles. Now, for you in the world of front of house and monitors, there's so many different consoles now, it seems. And what is that like? Do they all have a common thing that you're familiar with? Or is there a lot of difference between these consoles? It's a little bit above. The interface is pretty similar. You know, you got all the faders. Some have a certain number of faders. Some have more. You know, some manufacturers have three different consoles uh, for different types of venues, so small, medium, large. But for the most part, it's pretty much the same. You have the layers. The trickiest thing for live sound for you is to know how you can get to where you need to go as fast as possible. So it's not like every console has the same thing everywhere. So you just really, I rely a lot on local, the local house engineers to tell me, okay, how, how do I get to the effects section? How do I sign the effects to to the returns, how do I route this, uh, where is the patch on the console. So I rely on them to tell me and show me where where it is, where I can find the stuff. But all consoles, they pretty much have everything you need. It's just a matter of finding where, where it is. It's kind of like Mac and PC a little bit. Yeah. It's in there somewhere. You just got to figure out where they've put it. Where it is, exactly. <laughs> Where the settings are, you know, that kind of stuff. But it takes me a few minutes. As long as he's there, normally at the beginning of the show, I just tell him, just hang with me, you know, for the first couple of songs. And if I'm okay, you can go and then just come back every 20 minutes or so to make sure I'm fine. But for the most part, it's fine. By now, I pretty much mixed on every single console that's out there. In a, in a world of digital consoles, do you end up showing up to venues sometimes where they actually have an older analog console? Yeah, not much in America. In Europe, you get more of that, more of the analog. In Europe, you see a lot of the old Midas, the analog Midas, the heritage, which is great. I love it. They sound so good, and it's it's so easy. Uh, the only problem is because they're old, sometimes they have funky components. Some faders are a little noisy. 
<laughs> some of the knobs you, you kind of have to to work it and turn it until the the noise stops but it's always fun i love seeing those it never crossed my mind that you know you'd be on an older console move a fader or turn a knob and have something just horrific come out of the 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 speakers and have the whole audience kind of turn around like yeah what's going on back there yeah yeah i'm used every time i see an analog console now i just kind of move the faders up and down real quick make sure they're not making noise all the knobs the outboard effects as well they tend to get dusty and they get very noisy so i just during sound check setup i just make sure they're all working fine well, let's let's shift gears a bit. Can you talk to me about life on the road and taking care of yourself and what challenges one faces in your experience? You know, I'm not just a sound engineer. Nowadays, there's a lot of that tour manager, sound engineer thing. A lot of bands prefer that because it saves them money. And I understand it's one less ticket, one less hotel room, one less per diem, and you get one guy to do two or three different jobs, not to mention production, because somebody's got to take care of the production. So I'm, I'm pretty much, I am the tour manager, the production manager, and the sound engineer. So that makes it for a very, very long day. My typical day is about 14 hours, nonstop. I wake up, let's say at 10.30, 11 o'clock, I start checking my emails. At 12 o'clock, let's say we load in, Sound check at four o'clock, four to five, support band from five to six, something like that. Seven o'clock doors open. First band will go at eight to eight forty-five. Main band goes at nine fifteen until about ten forty-five, eleven. We pack, pack merch, settle up with the venue. So by then it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm done. I go to bed. <laughs> I go to my bunk and I normally like listening music to music that, that puts me to sleep. I can't even remember listening to the end of the song. I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> 14 hours a day nonstop. So it's challenging, not just physically, but mentally, because you have to take care of not just the band, but the crew. And you also have to interact with the local crew. So there's another five, six guys there. And if you consider one or two support acts, there's another 10, 16 people. So I'm interacting with easily 20 people. So at any given minute, I hear my name, Carlos, 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 Carlos. And you're trying to do sound check, and then somebody comes to you asking about hospitality. What kind of whiskey do you want in the dressing room? And I kind of got to stop or try to do both at the same time and and sometimes there's a fire here and there i gotta it's not uncommon for me to be in the middle of sound check checking the emails because there's some something that needs a reply right away so it's non-stop it's mentally very challenging it's sometimes hard to keep it cool do you have any systems or methods that you use to try to make your life easier like you know productivity apps or things that allow you to juggle all these different jobs on the road? I would say the main app that I use for touring, it's an app called Master Tour. I don't know if you heard of it. Mm -mm. A lot of us use it. It's from a company from Chicago. It's an app where I have the desktop version and it has everything we need for life on the road in regards to information. So I put all the flights in there, all the hotels, the schedule for the day, any important notes, any PR stuff, interviews, whatever the band has going on that day. So anything that concerns everyone's life on the road, it's in there. And we all have that app on the phone as well. And it's updated instantly. If I put anything on my desktop, it just shows on their iPhones immediately. So that's the main thing that keeps everything in one place together. So that's very handy. And that's the main thing that I use that helps keeping my life easier. Besides that, I would say it's common sense, trying just to stay organized. I use Dropbox a lot and I'm a Mac guy. So I like having specific smart folders on the Mac for each venue. So I put everyone's email addresses in there. So if I need to know what's happening tomorrow, I just click on that smart folder. It shows all the emails that we've been exchanging. 
So I can easily find out what the pH tomorrow is going to be, what the concert is going to be, the names of everybody and the phone numbers. So in conjunction with that and the app, that's pretty much everything I need. Before you took over such a wide combination of duties in your role with Bands on the Road, were there time periods where there were separate people for all these chores that tours you've been on and people who've come before you that you've learned a great deal from about tour managing, for example? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like because of the economy, people are in need more and more of the ones that can double or triple duty. But back then, it didn't seem to be as much of an issue. When I started here in America in 99, the first tours I've done, we had a dedicated tour manager. We had a dedicated monitor engineer, dedicated front of house guy. We had a tour manager's assistant, not to mention that the manager used to come more often, a lighting designer. All that is gone, at least at the level that I'm doing now. It's pretty much just me, a stage technician. And a lot of times that's it. It's the band, me and another guy. Hmm. So we lost a bunch of people. And in the beginning, and, and the way I started doing this is because this tour manager I used to work with, Daniel Abate, he called me one day and said, I'm on this tour. He was production manager for Deep Purple back then. I'm on this tour. There's this band, The Thing Lazy. It's the Thing Lazy reunion. They need a tour manager sound guy. And I think you can do it. Actually, I know you can do it. I know you, you haven't done it. You've been mostly a sound guy, but I can see you're organized. So I can kind of teach you. And if you have any questions, feel free to come back at me and, and ask me questions. And I was like, gee, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think if you start doing it, you're really going to get busy and it's going to be good for you. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So I did that tour and you went all right. I learned a lot. And next one, it was better and then the other one better. So it just got better and better at it. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. When you travel nowadays, do you mostly travel on a bus? Yes, mostly buses as much as we can. Because it's really tough. Fly dates, weekend warrior stuff, as we call it. You fly on a Thursday, you got to show on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if you have to fly from city to city, you really have to wake up really early, go to the airport early. And it's just a little too uncertain relying on airlines nowadays. There's a lot of cancellations and delays. A few times we had some close calls. We barely made it. But so far, so good. We never missed a show, but it's not recommended. So if we can, we ride on a bus. If we can't, we, we rent a van and we drive ourselves. But we are all in our 40s, 50s. It's, it's not as fun as it used to be. <laughs> our bodies can take the... <laughs> it's tolling. So we like the bus. The bus is really, is really fun and we, we prefer it. I would imagine that being on a bus is a, is a little more of a bonding time where you feel yeah. like the whole crew's together. and Yeah, it's kind of like being in a submarine at times, but it's better. It's a good compromise. And the advantage of having the bus as well is that most of the times we have a trailer, so we are able to carry our own gear. Mm -hmm. So when we have a bus and a trailer, I bring a lot of audio. I bring our front of house console. We have a, a Midas, digital Midas Pro 2. I bring all the microphones. I try to bring as much stuff as I can because certain venues, unfortunately, they don't have some basic things like decent mic stands or enough cables for both headliner and support act. Hmm. Sometimes they don't have enough microphones. So having the trailer, we bring all our backline. I bring all the cables, mic stands, microphone, package, as much stuff as we can. So we have to rely pretty much just on the PA and, and amps from the venue. 
how do you take care of your ears while you're on the road? Is that a challenge? Yeah, it can be. It can be a challenge. I have tinnitus, so it's been, I've been mixing for 30 years now, so I definitely have tinnitus. But I really try my best not to mix. I do believe there's a good loud and a bad loud. There's that range between 2 and 6K that you meet still bothers me if it's a little too much. It tends to be a little harsh, and I hate at the end of the night when you go home and, and you hear your ears ringing. So just to think that, let's say, 1,000, 2,000 people, if they went all day went home and they when they went to bed and they had that ringing ears, that would make me feel really bad about it. So I really try to scoop that a little bit. I spend a lot of time EQing the PA in order to even those harsh frequencies out. That way you can get it loud and punchy, but not harsh. You know, it's not going to hurt people. Hmm. But it's, it's a little more challenging at, in small venues, I would say, when the PA is right in front of the people. If it's not a line array, if it's not hung, if it's stacked, there's not much you can do. People are going to be in front of it. It's going to be blasting at them. But I really, I, I make a good effort. I'm always aware of it. Yeah. Now, what about eating on the road? How do you manage that and not eat fast food every night? <laughs> it's hard, you know, especially late at night after the show. All you could get after 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock is pizza. That's all you can get. But I always try to have fruit. The good thing about being the tour manager is that I can order certain things. I don't depend on anyone. I can order whatever I want and make sure that there's plenty of good, healthy options on the bus. So I try to get a lot of fruit, anything that I can get that's, let's say, organic. Try to have uh, avocados, which is a good fat to make sandwiches. Good options, the, the juices. So you can be healthy, you can eat healthy, you just need to be disciplined about it. But there's always junk food everywhere. <laughs> so you just have to be disciplined. Now, let's talk a little bit about the finances of this job. What is your advice to others on money management when you are essentially a road warrior? That's a good question because one of the first things that I think that I wish I could have done different was having money set aside for retirement. When I started back then, nobody never even mentioned that to me. Hey, set some money aside because as you grow old, you're going to need it. As of now, I started early. I really started like five years ago setting money aside. I have a couple of accounts. Acorns is a good way of putting some change money aside. Are you familiar with Acorns? I am, yeah. Can you explain that for the audience? It's an app that the way you set up is, let's say you, you spend $28, they round it up to 30 So those $2, they go to a virtual piggy bank, let's say, and they invest on different stocks and, and bonds and, and things like that. So it's always set aside. So I always see on my uh, statements, a dollar here, a dollar fifty there, two dollars here, two dollars there. And if you want, you can say take ten bucks a week or whatever it is that you want to set aside, and it goes into that that account. And without realizing, you start piling up a decent chunk of money, and it's a good way to save. And I have other an IRA account that I set aside as well that I put some money into it. But I started I started late. That's one of the things I wish someone would have instructed me, which is retirement. So hopefully I will, in about 10, 15 years, I'll be able to retire and have some money. But if I had started earlier, so set money aside because it's very important. You can't rely on Social Security alone. That's good advice. When you're on the road, and tell me if it still is like this to this day, there's not a lot to spend money on because you're constantly moving. And yeah, yeah. Are your, are your purchases mostly food-oriented? Not even that, because a lot of times food is provided, even though we have what we call per diem. It varies from 30 to 50 bucks, depending on the artist you work with. So you have 30 to $50 that's given to you for, for, for that, for food. But a lot of times you have food provided. You have a catered lunch and catered dinner and after-show food. So a lot, of, a lot of people, they save that money and they don't spend it. So 
I like being on the road because I'm just making money. I'm not spending money. Obviously, there are those, uh, you got to pay rent, you have your health insurance bills and things like that, but it's not like you have the time or you you don't go out shopping for, for clothing or maybe on a day off, you want to splurge, you go have a nice meal or go to a bar, have some drinks, but you don't really spend a lot of money when you're on the road. And what about maintaining things at home? For example, you mentioned paying rent. So are your expenses at home kept to a minimum? Yeah, I try to. Actually, that's one of the reasons why I moved from LA. Uh, I'm in Las Vegas now. I moved here about three years ago. Los Angeles is becoming prohibitive, especially after I, I got divorced. About four years ago, I got divorced. And living alone, it's it's just almost impossible. I didn't want to, after being married for 14 years, I didn't want to have a roommate. My mother moved with me, so I, I support my mom as well. So being in LA, supporting your mother, paying rent and all the other expenses in LA is just impossible. You would have to make at least at least $100,000 to pretty much break even, I would say. When I moved out of LA three years ago, my rent was $2,500 a month, and that was three years ago. I moved to Vegas, my rent was, and it still is, $1,400. So right then and there, I saved a little over $1,000 a month in rent, just moving from LA to Vegas. Obviously, there are other expenses you can't not have, like health insurance, which I didn't have health insurance for a while, but I don't recommend that to anyone. So I pay, let's say, $500 on health insurance. Car insurance here in Vegas is very expensive as well, which is a surprise because I thought LA would be more, but it's not. But, you know, I would say it was a good move, a good decision to move to Vegas. But being saving, being able to, to spend less, I'm not going to say save money, but spend less. Plus, Nevada has no state income tax. Oh, yeah, that's that. Which is great. Which means that all retirement income is, is tax-free at the state level. Yep. And uh, has a relatively low property tax rate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Although I'm, I'm renting. I don't own a house by rent. I wasn't sure how it was going to be, but it's fine. I travel so much that as long as I'm near a major airport, it doesn't really matter much. I like the West Coast, though, because of the weather. Yeah. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20 and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. So no relationships right now. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And do you think that, I mean, it seems like a cliche, but in your mind, is it true? Is it just hard to maintain relationships while being on the road so much? Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's the short answer. It is very, very hard. It's it's hard because when you're on the road, it's almost like you live in your own bubble a little bit. It's mm -hmm. hard not to get alienated from people and not to alienate people too. It's funny. I used to go back home if I was out. Sometimes I would get out, be away for a month, at times even two months, come back home. I would forget where the light switches were. I would open wrong drawers if I was looking for a fork kind of thing. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's your own house and you kind of like, you forget where the light switch is or, or, or honey, <laughs> what you're looking for? And my wife would ask, I'm, where's the fork? You know, where's the drawer for the forks? You know, kind of thing. It's weird. It, it's hard to believe, but that happened. And it still happens if, I, if I'm out for a little period of time. Back to, the, back to the virus for a bit and the industry. 
How are you going to weather this slow period? It's going to be tough, especially because it came at a time right after winter. I was expecting to start touring again. We, in this touring industry, November comes and it's it really slows down until about March, April, spring picks up again. And then summer is really great. We are really busy. And then fall, we are also a little busy. But winter comes and we try to make as much money as we can for the winter. And I saved some money because I worked a lot. But if we are not going to be working until, I'd say, May, I'm going to get really close to the bottom of my savings. So does this change your views on how Not only how you make money, but how you manage that money going forward. Yeah, but who would have a pandemic (laughs) emergency account for a pandemic? I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uncharted territory for all of us. Yeah, so, but yeah, I'm gonna have to try to somehow have more money set aside if that's even possible, but I don't know how, but yeah. Yeah, I think we'll all start opening pandemic emergency funds. Yep, yep, something like that. Obviously, it makes it difficult to plan ahead and know really exactly when things are going to start ramping up again. And I, I believe that things will. It's just a matter of time. When that time is, we don't know. No. Are there things that you're thinking of like, well, maybe I could do some other gig for now. What are your thoughts on that? It's hard to think what else could I do because I've been thinking about one of the reasons why I moved to Vegas was to perhaps try to find a local gig. So when I'm not on the road, I'm working locally. But with all the venues and clubs, all entertainment and sports, everything is closed, the trade shows as well. So there's not really much that I could do that I would have to go out out of the house. Nobody's leaving the house. So it would have to be something that I could do from home. The one thing I could think of, maybe offer mixing services, you know, and mix from home. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I started thinking about a couple of years ago. I started setting up a room in my, I have a spare room here where I live. So I kind of set up a studio here so I could start bringing mixes that I record live and mix and offer that as a service as well. But I just got started with that. But that is something that I'm going to take more seriously now and start offering to people. So that's another extra income that I could do that I can offer to people for when I'm not on the road. I could do that from home. Do you guys record when you're out on the road with Candlebox or any other act for that matter? Is it common practice to record the shows? With Candlebox, yeah. Because of the the console I have, I have a system set up where I can... Uh, track up to 32 inputs so i've been recording pretty much every night so i i have a an archival of shows and when i have free time i come home and i just have a lot of fun digging through it picking the best songs of each night and mixing it sometimes it is yeah especially with digital consoles nowadays there are some consoles that make it really easy it's just a matter of connecting a firewire or a usb or a Thunderbolt cable into your computer and, and you're good to go. So you carry a small, like at least a laptop with an iLock or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a laptop that runs Pro Tools. And I have this Lynx device built by a company called RPM. It's two Lynx cards. So it allows me to record up to 48 channels actually, but I don't need that much. So I record 32 channels every day, every night. So, you know, you're working for Candlebox, Mm -hmm. and I'm just curious how one prioritizes your time, because new gigs could crop up. How is it that you manage your time between bands so that you can always kind of go with the bands that I assume you've been working with Candlebox for so long that you wouldn't want to miss a gig? Yeah, I didn't miss a lot of gigs in 13 years, maybe I want to say maybe 16 gigs I might have missed in 13 years, maybe 20 gigs at the most. But last year, I was working with Candlebox in the Plain White Tees. It was one of the busiest years for me to the point I got really close to burning myself out. Mm. We, I believe it was close to 110 shows between two, both bands. So if I wasn't out with one band, I was out with the other. Because Candlebox wasn't doing as much. And playing with these, they were not playing as much. So between both of them, I kept busy. So when somehow it worked out in a way where Kindlebox would go out 
and the plane weighties, they weren't going out and, and vice versa. But then there were a few times where there was a conflict and then I would find somebody else to fill in for me. And it would come down to, let's say, plane weighties, they have this two-week run, Kennelbox has only this weekend. Sorry, I'm going to go with the plane weighties. Right. And they would understand. They understand. It's not uncommon for people in the live industry to have people that fill in for you for a short period. So I would have someone fill in for me. I normally have one or two guys that I trust that would fill in for me for the same guy would fill in for me for Kennelbox, and then he would fill in for me for the plain white tees. So I could keep doing both. How do you figure out what it is you're worth? How do you negotiate your rate for doing all these jobs for a band? Yeah, that's that's always can be a little tricky, but Doing what I do, it's a lot. It's uh, being a tour manager, a production engineer, a sound guy. There's a bare minimum that I want to get paid. Otherwise, it's not even worth it. It's so demanding that if anyone doesn't want to pay what I believe it's fair, to me, it's a sign that's not even worth taking the gig. There's not a question. It's easy for the person that's trying to hire me to understand how, how important it is to have someone they can trust to do all those jobs and work for 14 hours a day and expect a certain amount of money to do that in an effective way. So for somebody starting out with little to no experience, mm -hmm. what are the ranges that people should expect? And is it based purely on experience? Yeah. Are you familiar with the BobNet mailing list? BobNet. Yeah, there is in our industry, there's this Bob Nat, I forgot his name, but Bob Nat, it's this mailing list that a lot of touring pros are part of, and you get daily emails from Bob Nat saying, hey, this artist is in need of a tour manager or a lighting designer or a wardrobe person. All sorts of people are needed and you get those emails. So I see jobs that are posted for professionals and young guns. And I see salaries ranging from anywhere from $1,000 a week to $2,000, $3,000. Normally they don't post the rates in there, but I've, I've seen as little as a thousand bucks a week. But I would say if you're if you're starting out, I would personally not recommend anyone to go out for less than at least a couple of hundred bucks a day, at least. But you know, you're gonna learn a lot. You're starting out. So but you also you need to value yourself. And you should definitely not work for free. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Bob Nat is a good gauge for me to know what the market is like, what the demands are what people are expecting, and you see all kinds of offers there and all kinds of needs. If you could, if you don't mind, maybe sending me links to some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. We'll include those in the show notes for people to check out. Yeah. And speaking of that, do you promote yourself in any way with a website or anything like that? You know, maybe I should, but I don't. I've been working with Candlebox for so long now that anybody else that I worked with in the past, it's pretty much been word of mouth. Hmm. So I haven't had the need to promote myself. I'm on LinkedIn, which I think it's a good place to be. That's how I found you. Yeah. I'm not really a Facebook guy. I post some pictures in there from shows, but that's pretty much it. I don't chat on Facebook. It's pretty much LinkedIn. If I want to check anything serious about our industry, I just go on LinkedIn and I try to make friends with people and try to contact people that I respect, that I would like to be in touch with. That's pretty much it. But no, I would love to have a website. I just don't have the time and knowledge to build one. Mm -hmm. But I would like to have one and post some stuff, which I think it would be cool. It would be nice perhaps to have a YouTube channel. I wish I had the time to post some cool stuff out there on YouTube, stuff that I do on a daily basis. I think it would be helpful for people to have an idea what it is to do what I do. But again, I'm 14 hours a day busy. I would have to strap a camera to my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> you should have a conversation with Robert Scoville. He'll school you on, on how to do all that. Yeah, well, I love Robert. I met him a couple of times at NAM and uh -huh. at those AES. I, I love him. Uh, but Robert, I think Robert has a little more time. He doesn't have to tour manage. <laughs> so he's got a little more time. You know, he's got some time for exercising, which is great. That yeah. guy's in such a great shape. I, I love him. 
when in in his days with Tom Petty, I mean, I'm sure that he wasn't doing as many jobs as as you are in this case. Yeah, although I'm sure he's very dedicated to what he does, and I sh- I'm sure he starts really early. And I know he wakes up early. He's there early. He wants to to work with his system engineer, make sure everything is right. So you know, I'm not saying he doesn't work hard. He does work really hard, but it's a different thing. Oh yeah, it's it's. With all, all due respect to you, it is a, the a pretty high level. Yeah, I mean Tom Petty yeah. was yeah pretty high up there in terms of prestige. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had a chance one or two tours that I've done where I had a system engineer and I had the greatest time ever. It was so good. So you'll have to excuse my ignorance. What does a system engineer do on the road? When we have a system engineer, it normally means that let's say it's a company like Claire. Let's. I'm just giving an example. Claire Brothers. They provide the whole PA, the whole system for mm. the show. All the PA, all the monitors, all the consoles. There's a lighting company as well that brings everything and they set everything up. They start really early in the day, and the system engineer is the guy that's responsible for putting the PA up. He's gonna tune the the room, you know, tune quote unquote tune the room for you. He's gonna set everything up based on on your needs and what he thinks is right for the room. And then you come, every, everything is pretty much up. You know, he just handles everything to you and say, hey, just watch out for, for this section over here. I had a little issue with throwing all the way back there. So he's, let's say, if I could make a comparison, he would be your, the mechanic and you're the pilot. Got it. You show up to fly the plane. Yeah. And they exactly. make sure the plane is operational. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a very different type of thing. Yeah. So you don't have to set up your own plane or your own car. So you just come and and drive. Do you aspire to try to get on tours that are higher up in level and and have those things like a system engineer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's also a matter of who you know. You have to know someone that's at that level that could bring you in. If not, I don't see how you could get in. What do you think makes a good front of house engineer, tour manager combo. What are the elements that you think are essential to do this job? First thing is being organized, I would say. It's very important. Stay calm, even when everything is is hectic. If people are freaking out, you got to be able to stay calm. Make sure you maintain peace. Uh, There's a lot of egos sometimes. And be able to do the job, obviously. It's kind of like a 50-50 thing. You need to show up when needed do the job, deliver it. But there's a hang factor too. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're not a good person to hang with, you're not going to last. And when you talk about hanging, I mean, it could go a number of ways. You could wind up on a tour with a bunch of quiet introverts that don't want Mm -hmm. to uh, engage too much or quite reserved. Or you could end up on a tour with a bunch of extroverts who Mm -hmm. just want to party all the time. Yeah. But, you know, you got to respect people for who they are. But to me, as long as everyone is respectful, treat others the way you want to be treated. You don't have to party hard, even if they are. So just respect, I think, and understand that you're never going to please everyone. There's always that one guy that might not like the way you do certain things, but just accept the fact that you cannot please everybody. So just be respectful, just do your job, try to do the best you can, and and hopefully everything's going to be all right and everybody's going to be happy with your job. Well, Carlos, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We'll include a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn page, and we'll get some... uh, resource links from you that we can include as well that others who aspire to be in the world of touring sound and or tour management can use to possibly get into the business. Yeah, absolutely. Just check my LinkedIn profile and uh, send me a message. Right on. Well, thank you so much. Great to meet you. And I hope you stay healthy during this very, very bizarre time we are living through and look forward to chatting with you again, maybe on the other side of this. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. Take care. Take care. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for. 
giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Carlos Novais here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. And uh, keep it together, folks. We'll get through this. It's going to be a long, strange journey, but uh, I appreciate you coming back here week after week. want to thank all the crew, Anne-Marie Plo, Cliff Truesdale, Chuck Smith. Appreciate your help, and I appreciate you guys. So uh, till next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.